How many of you have ever played this game? Might look a little different now, but how many, come on, show of hands, how many of you played? All right, good. Now, if you are under 12, 12 or under, what are some of the questions that you ask to find out who the person is? Come on. Does he have blue hair? Okay. What else? Is it a girl? Does he or she have glasses? Facial hair. Are they wearing a hat? Right? All kinds of questions that you can ask to try to win that game. Well, over this Christmas Advent season, we have been asking the question, who is this baby? We've been talking about Jesus and who he is, and we have seen to this point that he is the God who comes to us in the mess that we have made of our world. But he's also the God who became one of us. This morning we're going to look at a familiar story, a story that helps us answer the question, who is this baby? And in a minute, I'm going to put a picture up on the screen. And again, if you are 12 or under, when I count to three, I want you to tell me what the story is, right? When I count to three. One, two, three. The wise men. Thank you. Boy, I think there's more of you than what I heard. And you're going to need to interact with me a little bit this morning because this is a family service. It's Christmas morning. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I hope you're going to answer In fact, my next question is, when the wise men came to Jerusalem, they asked a question. When I count to three, I want you to finish the statement for me. Where is he who is born? One, two, three. King of the Jews. King. Matthew wants us to see that Jesus is the king. In fact, the whole Gospel of Matthew is about Jesus as the King. But in chapter 2, which is where we're going to be this morning, so you can turn there in your Bibles or on your electronic devices, he specifically focuses in on Jesus as he comes as King. And he wants us to see what kind of a King he is. And so let's enter into the story And let's see how Jesus shows us what kind of king, or how Matthew shows us what kind of king Jesus is. What we're going to see as we come into the story is that there are three groups of people who receive an invitation. Now, we all like invitations. This is the time of year where you get invitations to Christmas parties and New Year's Day parties and things like that. Well, these three get an invitation to come and see Jesus. Let's look at them for a few minutes this morning. Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. We're going to see the words came and come a lot in this story because that's the idea. There's an invitation, and how are people going to respond? The first group of people that we see who are invited are the wise men. 
And the wise men are invited by a star. And we all know that story. We all know that they were invited by a star, which is supposed to light up. Oh, well. Pretend it's lit. It lit when we practiced it earlier. Thank you. That's probably it. That's it. Thank you, Karen. (laughs) They're invited by a star. But what was the star? We really don't know. Was the star a star like this, just a star in the sky, an everyday, ordinary, normal star that appeared at an unusual time? Maybe. Was it an alignment of planets that only happened then? Maybe. Was it a comet? Could have been. Was it just an angel that was shining and looked like a star? Or perhaps was it the the shining glory of God that led Israel through the wilderness? We really don't know what the star was. We also don't know how they knew a star meant a king in Israel. Although perhaps the wise men knew because of Numbers 24, 17, which says, I see him but not now, I behold him but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. A star and a king's scepter. And perhaps these wise men, because they lived in a country where there were Jewish people that had scattered there, if they were from Babylon, perhaps because of Daniel's influence, perhaps they knew this verse. But however they knew it, they knew that a star meant a king, and we know that God was using the star to invite them to come to Jesus. We just sang, right? Come and see what God has done. That's what the star was saying. We also don't know who these magi were, who these wise men were. We know they were from the east, maybe from Babylon, maybe from Persia. They were wise men who stood in the presence of kings. They studied stars. Perhaps they were astrologers as well, dabbling in some of the the black arts. We don't know. They were probably very wealthy from the gifts that they bring and because they stood before kings and advised kings. They were people of a good reputation who had a good job. And now they're being invited to leave all of that and come to see Jesus. They know kings. Why make a long journey to see another king? Because God invited them through the star. They arrive in Jerusalem because that's where you would expect a king of Israel to be. But he's not there, is he? Again, if you are 12 or under or think you're 12 or under, when I count to three, tell me he's not in Jerusalem. Where is he? One, two, three. Bethlehem, right. I mean, we all know that. But they didn't. They didn't know that. And so they come to Jerusalem, and they need to learn where Jesus is. So they're the first group that is invited. There is a second person invited. We don't often think about that, but there is a second person invited. Herod is now invited into the story. Herod is invited to come to Jesus, and he is invited by the wise men. 
Now, we don't know how many wise men there were, so we're going to use one to represent all the wise men this morning. The wise men come to Jerusalem, and they come inviting Herod into the story. When Herod the king heard this, heard that they were asking, where's the king of the Jews? He was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Isn't it interesting? Herod knows that when they ask, where's the king of the Jews, they're talking about the Christ, the Messiah. And he understands that. Now, we may not know a lot about the wise men, but we know quite a bit about Herod. Herod is the king of Israel. He's the king of the Jews. But he is not an Israelite. He's not Jewish. In fact, he's from a people that were the enemies of the Jews. But he had gone to Rome and he had lobbied. He'd he'd tried to influence, probably bribed the Roman Senate to appoint him as king over Israel. And they did. And so Herod became king and, and he was a builder. He built a magnificent temple in Jerusalem. He built a a huge city called Caesarea. He built aqueducts. He built all kinds of things. He was a brilliant man, but he was also a very evil and cruel man. He did anything to protect his throne, his position as king. He killed some of his sons to protect his position. He killed one of his wives. He killed a lot of other people. And by this time in the story, Herod is old, and he is very afraid somebody's going to steal his throne. And so when he hears people are asking, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? What he hears is, where is the legitimate king who got kingship by birth, not by bribing Romans, you imposter? And so he is threatened by it. But it's an invitation. Herod is actually invited into the story. Invited to come to respond to Jesus. There's a third group in this story that are given an invitation as well. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, For so it is written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So we meet a new group of people who are invited. The religious leaders are invited, and they are invited by the words of the Bible. They know the Bible. They know it really, really well. So well that when Herod asks, where is Messiah going to be born, they don't have to run and get a copy. They recite from memory, combining two passages, 2 Samuel 5 along with Micah 5, and they say he's going to be born in Bethlehem, and he's going to be a shepherd to his people. He's going to guide his people. In fact, they say in verse 5, it stands written. This is the eternal word of God. They're invited because they know this book. They're invited to respond to the invitation by that book, by the words of the wise men who have told them what has happened as well. But knowing the Bible and knowing about Jesus doesn't mean that you know Jesus. 
Some of you may be seated here, some of you watching online, you may know all about the Christmas story. You may know all about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, but you've never personally responded to the invitation to come to him as your Savior. You're just like those religious leaders. You know a lot, but he's not your Savior. You haven't come in response to the invitation to come. So who is this baby? This baby is the king who invites each one of us to come to him. We can come whoever we are. Think about the story. The wise men, they are Gentiles who live a thousand miles away. They are pagans. They are probably people who who engage in some of the magic arts that we wouldn't agree with. And yet God invites them to come. The Gospel of Matthew is primarily written to a Jewish audience. But the very first people invited to come to Jesus in Matthew are Gentiles. Whoever we are, we can come. Herod, you would be hard-pressed to find a more evil person in that day than Herod. And yet God opens the door and invites him into the story, invites him to come. The religious leaders are self-righteous and self-satisfied, and yet God invites them into the story to come. And the story shows us that no matter how near or far away from God we think we are, we can come. You may think, I am so far away from God, I have done so many things that God could never forget, he would never invite me. Well, the Magi were Gentile pagans a thousand miles away, and God invited them. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, He invites you to come. Or you may be a person who's like the religious leaders. You think you know a lot about Jesus, and you're only five miles away from Bethlehem. You think you're pretty close to God. But if you've never responded to the invitation to make Jesus your personal Savior then you still don't know him. He is the king who invites each one of us to come. It doesn't matter who we are or how near or far away, he invites us to come. Max Lucado in his book, No Wonder They Call Him Savior, tells the story of a a mother in Brazil whose name was Maria and her little girl, Christina. And Maria's husband had died when Christina was just a little baby. And Maria had worked very hard to try to provide for Christina and provide for the family, working a couple of jobs, but there was never a lot of money. And Christina was always dissatisfied. And as she got older and grew into a a teenager, she became a very beautiful young woman. And the boys of the village started to come around, but that wasn't what she was interested in. And she kept telling her mother, I am going to go to the big city. I'm going to Rio de Janeiro someday. One day Maria got up and found Christina's bed was empty and her things were gone and she knew what had happened. And so she took a couple of days to get time off of her job lined up and to collect what little money she had and she went to the bus station to go to Rio de Janeiro to look for her daughter. But before she got on the bus, she went into a nearby drugstore and had a number of small black and white pictures taken of her. And she went into Rio and she began to wander the streets and to go into 
hotels and places where a young, beautiful woman who had no money might end up looking for her. And wherever she would go, in the bathrooms and the the lobby of hotels, she would tape one of her pictures in the corner of a mirror or someplace that was visible. But after several days of fruitless searching and not finding her, her money ran out and she had to go back home. Heartbroken, she got on the bus and she left. A few days later, Christina was coming down the steps of a hotel and very sad at who and what she had become when something caught her eye. And there in the mirror in the lobby, she saw a picture and she thought, that looks like my mother. And she went over and she took the picture and she saw it was. She began to weep and to think, I can never go back. What have I done? What have I lost? She turned the picture over and on the back it said these words. Whatever you've become, whatever you've done, It doesn't matter. Come home. And she did. That picture is like the manger. The manger is God saying to you and to me, whoever you are, whatever you've done, come. The invitation is open. Come to the king who invites each of us to come. But there's another fact that Matthew tells us about this king. Who is this baby? He is the king who will not make us come to him. See, Christmas is about choosing to come to Jesus or not. Again, if you're 12 or under, I have a question. This time I just need a show of hands. How many of you have your parents ever made you go someplace you did not want to go? Come on. All right, yeah, most of us, even those of us who are over 12, maybe it was to to go to bed at a certain time or to go to the dentist or maybe it was to come here today when you really wanted to stay home and play with your new toys. Parents can do that. In fact, parents should do that at times. But you know, God never does that. He never makes us come to Jesus. Jesus invites us to come to him, but he never forces us to do that. Let's think about those religious leaders. They are missing from the rest of the story. They tell Herod the words of Scripture, and then they disappear completely out of the story. They know where Jesus is going to be born. They've been invited by the Word of God itself, which they know. It's a five-mile walk, maybe an hour's walk to Bethlehem, and they don't respond. They reject the invitation. And in fact, when Jesus grows up, this group of men, men like them, will be among his most harsh opponents. So what about Herod? Well, Herod chooses to try to kill Jesus, not come to him. Now, he says the right things. Look at verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him. I want to respond to the invitation. And guess what? He sounded so sincere, the wise men believed him. 
They were ready to go back. We'll see in a little bit. But Herod doesn't want to come. He doesn't want to come to Jesus. He wants to kill Jesus. Verse 16 tells us that. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious and sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So Herod, actually, he's invited both by the word of God that the scholars told him and by the words of the wise men to come to Jesus. But instead of coming, Herod wants to kill him. What's ironic is by the time you reach the end of chapter 2, Herod's the one who's dead, and King Jesus is very much alive. But then there's the wise men. The wise men respond rightly to the invitation. They come to Jesus and they worship him. They were invited first by the star that shone in the sky. And then they were invited by the words of the Scripture as the rabbis, as the teachers told them what the Old Testament Scripture said. And they respond. They'd made a long and difficult journey, as I've said a couple times, probably a thousand miles to get there. And when they get there and they start asking about a king, instead of finding people who are excited about it, they find a city that's stirred up and scared by news of a king, afraid of what Herod will do. And then they hear from the religious leaders, and these men who know where the baby's going to be born can't even be bothered to travel there. It must have been discouraging, don't you think, for the wise men? That nobody else wanted to go with them to find the baby? But it didn't stop them. They are committed. So after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they'd seen when it rose, the star they saw back home, you know, a lot of the pictures show them following it across the desert. That's not what the story says. It says they saw it where they were at home, and now it appears again in Bethlehem or over Bethlehem. Behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Don't miss those first couple of words of verse 9, though. That struck me this week as I was studying. After listening to the king, you realize they heard the word of God from Herod? And God can use anybody to give his message, to give his invitation, even evil, wicked Herod. They heard what Herod said. They head for Bethlehem, and in affirmation, God sends the star, which now comes and stands over the place where the child is. And notice their response to the invitation. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They come to Jesus and they give themselves to him. They fall on their faces in front of this baby and this child. I mean, this is a Jewish mother holding a Jewish little boy in a very humble home, and yet they recognize, because God's at work in their hearts, they recognize the king. These men who stood before kings often, these men who did not bow, as far as we know, before Herod, now fall down on their faces before a young child in a humble home. 
because God has opened their eyes, God has invited them, and they have come to their king. That's what their bowing indicates. This is our king. We worship him. We accept him. And so they worship Jesus, not the star. They worship Jesus, not Mary. They worship the king. And that's why they had come. Remember verse 2? For we have come to worship him. And now they see him and they fall before him in worship. And having given themselves first, they give their gifts, rich gifts, gifts of wealthy men. But even more than that, they give their obedience because the next verse tells us they were warned not to go back to Herod by a dream. And so they departed to their own country another way. That was brave of them. Herod had a very long reach, and yet they are not going to go back to Herod because they're going to obey the word of their king given to them in a dream. And they go back to their own country a different, by a different path. They respond to the invitation. They come and demonstrate their obedience before this king. Who is he? The king who will not make us come to him, but who invites us to come. No matter what stands in our way, no matter who else does or doesn't come, the manger is like Christina's mother's picture there in the corner of the mirror saying, come, come home, whoever you are, whatever you've done. But there's more than a manger, isn't there? We know the rest of the story. We know there's a cross where this child, this king, dies to pay for your sins and my sins. And there's an empty tomb where the Savior rises from the dead, demonstrating that he is indeed the king who forgives our sins. Jesus is the king for each of us, who invites us to come to him, but he won't make us come. He's the best gift. He is the one who came and died and rose for you and for me, and he invites us to come. Every once in a while in news, you hear a story of a young child who's fallen in an old well or an old mine shaft. And a few years ago, that happened in Texas. And the little boy fell in a mine shaft, and he had a playmate with him who ran for help. And the rescuers came pretty quickly, but what they discovered was that this mine shaft was really unstable. And so instead of going down into it, they had to dig a parallel shaft and get down below where he was and tunnel over to him. And it took the better part of a couple days. And when the little boy was rescued, the, the news crews asked his mother how he was, and she said, well, he's tired and he's dirty and he's hungry, but he's okay. But he was taken to the hospital for observation, and the next day when they released him, he begged his father to take him back to where it had happened. And so his father agreed and took him back, and when the little boy saw the huge mound of dirt that was there from the hole that was dug, and a lot of the earth-moving equipment that was still there, he said to his father, wow, did they do all that for me? And his father said, yes, son, they did all that to rescue you. See, in this Christmas, I want you to remember there's a manger, but there's also a cross, and there's an empty tomb, and Jesus did all of that for you and for me. And the manger and the cross and the tomb are the picture in the corner of the mirror from God saying, come. 
whoever you are, whatever you've done, come home. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Their heads bowed and eyes closed. There may be somebody here on this Christmas morning, and you know that even though you've heard about Jesus maybe all your life, you've never trusted him personally as your Savior. Just right there where you're seated, you can do that this morning. Just by saying, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and dying for me. Would you please save me from my sins? If you're watching online, you can do the same right where you are. And we would love to have you call the office on Tuesday and allow us to help you with that decision. The manger, the cross, the empty tomb are an invitation saying, come, come to the King who invites all of us to come. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saying, come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Thank you for the invitation of Christmas, for the joy because the King has come and invites us to come to him. It's in his name that we pray.